Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm Bert Zipperer, a retired Madison Public Schools staff member and member of Madison Teachers Incorporated Retired. Thanks to, thanks to you and to all our listeners, your support helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WORT possible. Thanks. Hi, and I'm Robin G., a former member of AFT 243 and a member of NWU. Today we take a look at what's next in the UPS contract negotiations, get an update on True Stage and OPEIU negotiations, hear about Madison Sourdough, and much more. And if you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio. A local company has stolen wages, retaliated against its employees for complaining, and failed to respond to the National Labor Relations Board. Carol Weidel has the story. Workers at Crushinet Apparel, based in Madison, complained about unpaid wages and working conditions. Together, the workers petitioned their employer by signing a letter and delivering it to owner Jeremy Crook. The largely Latino workforce sought redress from the owner, and he responded by firing them. The workers found support for their struggle at Worker Justice Wisconsin. They also petitioned for representation by Painter's Local 770. Juana Montes, speaking to Worker Justice Wisconsin supporters with the help of a translator, described their organizing. Hola, buenos días. We went to Worker Justice Wisconsin and they gave us courage and strength in front of us. The first step was to give our boss a petition. If he had accepted, everything would have been fine. But instead he got angry and fired us for making our needs at work known. So we went back to Worker Justice to organize a picket in front of the shop. The workers sought union representation, but even after the union election, the struggle with the employer continues. We won our union election, and he's facing more than 20 unfair labor practice charges and received two OSHA violations. According to the Department of Workforce Development, he owes the workers close to $18,000. And now, the union is pushing him to bargain a contract, and we hope that soon he will be forced by the National Labor Relations Board to ask for forgiveness and turn our jobs to money. This has not been easy, but we continue moving forward. The company responded to the complaint filed with the National Labor Relations Board, or NLRB, by retaliating against the employees and firing them. The NLRB consolidated the two complaint cases from Worker Justice Wisconsin and the Painters Union into a single case. The NLRB gave the company until March 24, 2023 to respond. Instead, Crushinet Apparel responded by email by casting aspersions against the board and did not address the complaint allegations or meet any of the board's requirements for an answer. As a result, the allegations against the employer stand undisputed. The NLRB issued a decision and order dated June 29th that the employer 1. cease and desist from threatening employees and other prohibited practices, and 2 
take action to reinstate employees and make the employees whole for any loss of earnings and other benefits. Finally, the company must post a notice in English and Spanish that employees have a right to 1. Form, join, or assist a union, 2. Choose a representative to bargain on their behalf, and 3. Act together with other employees for their benefit and protection. So far, Crushing It Apparel has not complied with the order. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel. Workers at True Stage, formerly CUNA Mutual, continued their mobilization for a new contract. Frank M. Spock has the story. Members of OPEIU Local 39 got some good news this week when the National Labor Relations Board found merit in the union's charge that True Stage unlawfully withheld information was required to give the union in the collective bargaining process. Labor Radio spoke with Joel Vika, chief steward of the OPIU at True Stage, and asked him to describe the situation as regards negotiations now. Uh, negotiations are still going incredibly slow because True Stage and their bargaining committee refuse to uh, bargain over the most important issues that remain on the table within our contract. Uh, so that includes things around wages, retirement benefits, health care, and retroactive pay for uh, the last year and a half that we've gone without a contract. So is it fair to say that the negotiations are not moving towards settlement? We've made some minor progress on issues. So there's been movement towards agreement on issues around on-call pay for IT employees. Uh, The employer agreed to implement a pay equity review, uh, which was important for us. But overall, the things that are going to settle the contract, uh, the main wages and benefit uh, proposals that remain open, they're not actually making any significant attempts to compromise with our union and reach an agreement. So yeah, I would say uh, until they actually start making good faith movement towards us on those issues, uh, it's going to be really difficult to reach a fair contract agreement and settle a contract. The National Labor Relations Board found merit in the union's charge that the company unlawfully withheld information needed by the union in the collective bargaining process. What is the practical effect of that ruling? It, it's a couple things. One is it confirms what the our union has been saying for months, which is that True Stage has been violating federal labor law uh, throughout the bargaining process with us. And then secondly, Uh, The NLRB agent is requiring them to hand over the information that we've been denied for uh, months. And in particular, that's information related to communications about bonuses that the employer has been either denying or approving union members uh, that they've been withholding from us. And what has the company done to comply with the ruling so far? So far, they haven't done anything. We haven't seen any new information provided uh, by True Stage. We'll see if they end up complying or not. What is the status of the other unfair labor practice charges? Yeah, we have more than eight other outstanding unfair labor practice charges that are still being reviewed right now. Uh, so we expect uh, more to come back showing merit and showing that the company has been violating federal law. And what more specifically is the status of the unfair labor practice charge relating to your discharge? Also still in review. So no decision has been made yet for the National Labor Relations Board. What does the union plan as their next steps to encourage negotiations? Well, one of the things that we're doing right now is organizing a rally and a march 
for a fair contract. So we want the community to be aware of the fact that just because we've returned to work doesn't mean that we're done negotiating for a fair contract. We need to keep pressure on True Stage and make sure that they do the right thing. So we're asking all members and uh, community members to show up on July 29th, which is a Saturday at 9 a.m. on Dayton, Dayton and State Street. Uh, just a block off of the Capitol Square. Uh, We're going to march around the Capitol building and then have a rally with politicians, union members, community leaders to let True Stage know we're not going anywhere. That was Shaw Vika, Chief Steward of OPIU Local 39, representing workers at True Stage, formerly CUNY Mutual, speaking with Labor Radio's Frank Emsbach about the current status of negotiations between True Stage and OPIU Local 39. This week, the Madison Common Council considered a resolution supporting an extension of the Juneteenth holiday, and organized labor was there in the chambers. Greg Gabowski reports. An organized labor endorsed resolution to encourage private sector employers to recognize the Juneteenth holiday as a fully paid day off was heard by the Madison Common Council this week. On our last show, labor radio listeners heard from Dane County NAACP President Greg Jones, who spoke of the importance of expanding the Juneteenth holiday as a paid day for not only government workers, as was already done in the city of Madison and Dane County government, but for workers in the private sector as well. The resolution, which at first focused on encouraging Juneteenth recognition at the UW Health System, a major local employer, had revised wording that expanded the call for recognition to all major employers in the city. This week, on Tuesday, the resolution came up for public comment and vote. SEIU Wisconsin, who have been negotiating with UW Health and have made Juneteenth recognition a key point, submitted dozens of letters from members in support of the resolution to the Madison Common Council and spoke on Tuesday during the public comment section. Lewis Davis, executive director of SEIU Wisconsin, expressed the importance of the Juneteenth resolution to the union's members. Together we come before you to wholeheartedly endorse the amended resolution that calls on all employers in Madison, particularly the major healthcare industry employers to recognize the Juneteenth holiday and provide fair compensation to their employees. By passing the amended resolution, you will send a resounding message of justice, equity, and recognition for the sacrifice and significance of Juneteenth. Let Madison become a beacon of progress and compassion. SEIU Wisconsin President and Meritor Unity Point Health's nurse, Pat Race, described the commitment to Juneteenth recognition by her union. SEIU has a proud history of fighting for racial justice. In 2016, at our international convention, SEIU members, delegates passionately debated and passed a resolution proclaiming that in order to win economic justice, we must win racial justice. Part of the path to racial justice includes recognizing Juneteenth as a holiday that needs to be celebrated by the entire community and supported by all employers in our city. UW Health Nurse Colin Gillis, who had drafted the original resolution with Alders Amani Latimer Barris and Marsha Rummel, described the origins of the resolution. When Alder Burris won, 
I reached out to her right away. Why? Because union members across the country know that economic justice and racial justice are inextricably linked. Alder Burris and I met, we talked, and we decided to work together to win Juneteenth as a paid holiday for all workers in Madison. Gillis says that the resolution was seen as a move that would focus on common interests of UW Health and its workers. Our proposal seemed like an opportunity to highlight where our priorities as a union and those of the hospital administration aligned. UW Health has worked hard to lift up the voices of BIPOC communities and address racial disparities in healthcare. Making Juneteenth a paid holiday would connect their demonstrated commitment to racial justice to a concrete improvement to workers' lives. It would be a win-win. It will be, I hope, a win-win. While they said no this year, I'm hopeful they'll take the lead in making Juneteenth a paid holiday for as many workers in our city as possible before the next Juneteenth in 2024. Yet, the resolution did not pass this week. The meeting stretched into early Wednesday morning, and as discussion on wording around which employers would be included continued, the resolution was put off for further wording clarification. Bill Franks, chair of the NAACP of Dane County's Labor and Industry Committee and a retired member of the Wisconsin Professional Employees Council, AFT Local 4848, was disappointed that the resolution is still waiting to be officially passed. What we were looking for was paid time off holiday. Essentially for everybody within the vicinity, everybody in the geographic region. We'd like to see it implemented as soon as possible. So this is consistent with support that we have given organized labor, and in this case it's the nurses' union, because we are collaborative with them with respect to having the nurses at the University of Hospital and Clinic come to a contractual arrangement with their employer. That was Bill Franks of the NAACP of Dane County. SCIU Wisconsin and Dane County NAACP will continue to push for the passage of the Juneteenth Resolution in Madison, in a statement released by the union, it reiterated, quote, the nurses of SEIU Wisconsin strongly support a resolution that calls on UW Health as the largest health care provider in the region and all other employers to honor Juneteenth as a paid holiday. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jabosky. The July 31st deadline for the UPS Teamsters strike is approaching. Frustration is mounting over the lack of an acceptable economic offer from UPS. UPS workers, who are represented by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, have demonstrated their resolve at practice picket lines around the country, including some in Wisconsin, at distribution centers in Middleton, Madison, and Janesville, in preparation for a strike if they do not have a ratified contract by July 31st. The clock is ticking. Teamsters President Sean O'Brien has made clear that there will be no work without a contract, and a contract can only take place after a tentative agreement is endorsed by the National Committee and then voted on by the full membership. The Democratic Union process takes time. The remaining issues are wages and the treatment of part-time workers, according to Bill Carroll, Secretary-Treasurer of IBT Local 344 in Milwaukee. A majority of UPS workers are part-time. In an interview with CNN, Teamsters President Sean O'Brien said that they want starting wages for part-time workers raised to $20 an hour from the current $15.50. Improvements for part-time workers to advance to full-time is also on the table. In order to facilitate negotiations, the union and the company adopted a new means of dealing with the huge and complex organization that makes up the UPS. 
the parties chose to deal with regional issues first. Early in June, the union and UPS announced that all regions had reached agreements on all issues and that all that was left was economic issues, primarily wages. By the end of June, the union and UPS reached agreement on other national issues. UPS will establish Martin Luther King Jr. Day as a full holiday for the first time and end unwanted overtime on driver's sixth consecutive day. The union and the company also agreed to equip more trucks with air conditioning. Under that agreement, UPS said it would add air conditioning to U.S. small delivery vehicles purchased after January 21, 2024. Existing vehicles wouldn't get that upgrade, but the union said they will have other additions like two fans and air vents. With most issues resolved, it appeared that UPS and the Teamsters were close to a final agreement. That did not happen. Talk stalled with both sides saying the other refused to negotiate. The union indicated that the latest offer from UPS failed to address wages or promotion opportunities for part-time workers. They want a fair share of the large profits that UPS made during the pandemic when their lives were on the line as essential workers. Here is Teamsters President Sean O'Brien in a July 10th CNBC interview. This company made $100 billion during the pandemic. Our members went out there. Not only did they transport the uh, vaccination when they weren't eligible for it, but they provided goods and services to this entire country, all the while UPS's profits kept doubling. So, you know, our members felt disappointed. Uh, They weren't rewarded for their work. They weren't given any type of bonuses or special pay. uh, And now they want to be rewarded for their work. As the July 31st deadline approaches, a settlement becomes less likely and the probability of a nationwide strike by 340,000 UPS workers looms. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Labor Radio. Thanks to Frank Emsbach for his contributions to this story. The Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, known as SAG-AFTRA, is going on strike, linking up with America's union writers in a joint action that the entertainment industry has not seen in over 60 years. Labor Radio has more. 160,000 actors, journalists, and other media professionals are walking off job sites across the country today after a two-week extension maintaining their previous contract expired. It is the first time members of the Screen Actors Guild have stopped work since 1980, after a final day of negotiations with major studios on Wednesday did not produce an agreement. Fran Drescher, president of SAG-AFTRA, said in a statement that the studio management's offers were, quote, insulting and disrespectful. We have a problem, and we are experiencing that right at this moment. This is a very seminal hour for us. Because what's happening to us is happening across all fields of labor. By means of when employers make Wall Street and greed their priority and they forget about the essential contributors that make the machine run. 
The union said its governing board approved a strike after the negotiating committee had unanimously recommended it Thursday morning. The union's rank and file members had already voted 98% in favor of authorizing a strike. At a news conference at the union's headquarters in Los Angeles, Drescher said the union would not continue to accept the big studio's incrementalist approach to contract negotiations. You cannot change the business model as much as it has changed and not expect the contract to change too. We're not going to keep doing incremental changes on a contract that no longer honors what is happening right now with this business model that was foisted upon us. What are we doing? Moving around furniture on the Titanic? It's crazy. So the jig is up, AMPTP. We stand tall. You have to wake up and smell the coffee. We are labor and we stand tall and we demand respect. SAG-AFTRA members will now join the more than 11,000 members of the Writers Guild of America who have been picketing against the same studios since the start of May. The last time a simultaneous strike of writers and actors took place was in 1960. One of the outstanding issues on the table for actors in the Guild are increases to residuals particularly for work hosted through web-based streaming services. Residual pay was notably not a standard part of union contracts in the entertainment industry until the dual strike of 1960. Similar to the writer's union, actors are also looking for guarantees regulating the use of artificial intelligence in the production process. With what little progress has been made in meeting writers' demands, it is likely that major studios will not be able to continue work on most of the remaining productions slated for this year. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Sean Hagerup. Earlier this afternoon, Labor Radio spoke with a spokesperson from the organizing committee at the Sourdough Bakery in Madison. The workers at Sourdough voted overwhelmingly to have a union. They are in negotiations with the company now. From the workers at Madison Sourdough, on April 5th, a supermajority of us at Madison Sourdough voted to join United Food and Commercial Workers, UFCW Local 1473, to enable us to bargain for a fair contract regarding our terms and conditions of employment. At Sourdough, we love being such an integral part of the community. We love baking bread and pastries, cooking you meals, and serving you coffee. We love that we are able to reach you not only at our storefront, but also through grocery stores and restaurants throughout the community. However, Though bakery work is highly romanticized, we work long, hard, early hours, and the work is physically demanding. For example, those in the bread and pastry departments work 10-hour shifts with a 25-minute break. We are passionate about our work and the role we play in the community, but we deserve to feel protected and financially secure while giving significant mental, physical, and emotional labor to a business from which we receive a fraction of the revenue. It's been amazing to see the people we work with come together to lift one another up. It's been just as disappointing to watch anti-union efforts being made by the highest leadership in the bakery, both during the union drive and in the initial stages of bargaining. We began the bargaining process at the end of May and have had five sessions. The business owner hasn't attended over half of our bargaining sessions. All members of our bargaining committee work full-time and have made time outside of work to bargain. The fact that the owner cannot make it to the table, despite working only occasionally, is incredibly disrespectful. Ownership has stated that management, quote, never pursued a campaign against unionization because we were not necessarily against unionization, and that they, quote, wanted to create space for all of our employees' voices to be heard. 
Now that we have won the election and begun bargaining, however, these sentiments have proven inaccurate. Management retains Littler Mendelssohn, a notorious anti-union law firm retained by the likes of Nissan, McDonald's, and Starbucks. Initially, management did not want to bring their lawyer to the bargaining table, but in an effort to step up Madison Sourdough's anti-union efforts, she has joined the bargaining sessions. Littler Mendelssohn is well known both for delaying bargaining for years and for developing anti-union legislation. Unfortunately, the company has not engaged in good faith negotiations, including, most recently, refusing outright to provide relevant and necessary information to the union regarding how employees are promoted and reviewed. This is particularly important to the union as long-term, dedicated employees who support the union effort have recently been passed over for promotion in favor of outside applicants who are longtime friends of Madison Sourdough Management. The Littler Mendelssohn attorney recently doubled down on the company's refusal to provide basic, presumptively relevant information during bargaining about how positions are filled and how employees are reviewed. She instead stated that the requested information wouldn't be provided because, quote, the United States Supreme Court has long recognized, quote, the sensitivity of any human being to disclosure of information that may be taken to bear on his or her basic competence. Um, and that's from Detroit Edison Company versus NLRB from 1979. In fact, the union is committed to ensuring that the company engages in good faith bargaining, which includes providing information regarding bargaining unit employees' promotion and performance reviews. This information is presumptively relevant and has long been required by federal law, the National Labor Relations Act. Today, our union filed unfair labor practice charges with the NLRB to address just some of the company's unlawful bargaining practices to date. The National Labor Relations Act also states that employers must meet for contract negotiation sessions at reasonable times and intervals. Despite this, union avoidance attorneys like the one Madison Sourdough and Starbucks retain frequently attempt to delay contract negotiations well beyond a reasonable period. It seems that ownership would rather spend time and money fighting unfair labor practice charges in court than bargaining a fair contract with us. The company would rather spend money on littler Mendelssohn attorneys than on compensating its workers. Is Madison Sourdough as it claims to be, a company that takes care of and listens to its workers and an upstanding part of the Madison community at large? Or does it only serve to benefit the owner and his family, several of whom hold upper management positions in the company, by exploiting a passionate but overworked and underpaid food service workforce? Madison Sourdough likes to claim that it is the former. Despite this, the company retains the same notorious union avoidance attorney as Starbucks and has followed the same insulting union avoidance playbook. Though the owner thinks of himself as a relatively good boss in the grand scheme of things, he's decided to profit from a system that offers workers very few protections. He stopped working a full schedule at the bakery recently, within the last year. He decided that it was unsustainable for him, and he decided to opt out. Work needs to be sustainable for those of us who don't have the option to opt out and collect the profits workers create. To place what we're doing in a broader political context, though we're just a small group of workers, what we're doing is meaningful, and the organizing you do at your workplace is likewise meaningful. The only power we have as workers is to withhold our labor. This can look either like getting frustrated and quitting, which feels good but has no long-term impact, or it can look like standing together. To stay updated on our bargaining process, future actions, and how you can help, please follow us on Instagram at Madison Sourdough Workers United with no spaces. Solidarity. That was a member of the bargaining committee of Madison Sourdough describing their ongoing bargaining challenge. The Unity Picnic is back. 
The Urban League of Madison invites community members to a free, family-friendly celebration picnic on Saturday, July 22nd from 1 to 5 p.m. at 2222 South Park Street in Madison. Enjoy delicious food, live music, and fun activities. That's the Unity Picnic on July 22nd from 1 to 5 p.m. at the Urban League in Madison. Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Bert Zipperer. Thanks to editor Frank Emspeck, assistant Robin G., who's also right here in the studio today. <laughs> Reporters Greg Gaboski, Sean Hagerup, Anna Hamm, Janine Ramsey, Abigail Levins, Carol Weidel, and damage control specialist, the inimitable Joanne Powers. Special thanks to Keith Steffen, our reader coordinator, web poster Anya Lee, and to all our readers and the members of IBEW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective. Thank you. And I'm Robin G. We also like to thank all the generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with Dave Watts and the professor, Bill Clark. Yes. <laughs>